Okay. First things first is I apologize if my dog snores in this intro. Bear with me for a couple of minutes and if you hear some snoring, it's not me and hopefully it's not you being bored by this intro. Okay, jokes aside, I've got a question for you all. If you could get up at 6am and go and experience a class, a yoga class, a Pilates class, uh, perhaps it's an F45, you go and meet your trainer, whose class would you get up for? Okay, some of us might not get up at 6am, so let's be realistic. Maybe it's a 5.30 class. Have a think about that for a second. Has there been someone throughout your own wellness journey or you know, trying different things, different sports, different activities, but someone that's been really influential on your journey? And I know that today's guest, Cora Giroux, sits pretty highly up on my list, which is why I really wanted to share her story and her journey as a yoga teacher with you all today. Cora and I met, interestingly, about, I think about seven years ago, and I was at a point in my life where I was transitioning from one career to another and she was an ambassador for the Lululemon Athletica store that I worked at in Sydney. Uh, if you don't know Lululemon, it's a yoga apparel brand. Well, they actually make a whole bunch of other cool clothes now, but they started in Vancouver, Canada. They are now all around the world and we had these people called ambassadors and they were ambassadors of our brand and Cora was one of our store ambassadors. So of course when I met Cora I thought hey she's pretty cool I think I need to get to know her a little bit more and thankfully our friendship has uh, stayed beyond Lululemon. She has been a studio owner in the past 10 years. She has led numerous teacher trainings and now she finds herself with a podcast and she is about to launch a new product this year, fingers crossed, to be able to support yoga teachers because yoga teaching looks from the outside sometimes as a really incredible career and something that would be really fun but like anything, there's all sorts of things that uh, as yoga teachers, you need, you go through. And so she is sharing her last 10 years as a yoga teacher, but also realizing that as a teacher, she has the opportunity to help educate and help bring diversity and, and inclusivity to an industry that is exploding and at the same time probably only reaches a certain part of the population. How can we make these tools and this incredible lifestyle accessible to more people as yoga teachers? So without further ado, I can't wait to share this conversation, episode 32 with Cora Giroux. This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week, we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Welcome to the True To You podcast, Cora. It is 
a real pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was really pumped when I got your invitation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So starting off with a question that I ask every guest because everyone's answer is different. So I think this is a really cool question. Tell me, Cora, what on an average morning gets you out of bed? I, I wish I had a profound answer for this. I don't. I have a really mundane one and it is coffee. Um, <laughs> so I do wake up really early every morning. That's something that I've just gotten into the habit of in the last 10 years teaching and often teaching early classes. Um, so I get up every morning between 5 and 5.15 and 5.30 and I'm not awake at that time. I don't wake up quickly. Um, so I do the opposite of what every Ayurvedic doctor and health practitioner has ever advised me to do. And I immediately drink a coffee. Um, so <laughs> I wake up, stumble out of bed, drink a coffee. And without that, I do um, struggle with hitting the snooze button. So I look at it as um, the lesser of two evils. And tell me, uh, once you've had that injection mm. of coffee mm -hmm. through your <laughs> bloodstream, <laughs> what, what does your morning look like next? And especially for someone who has that background in um, practicing yoga and uh, really a lot of other things that we'll dive into, tell me what does the next few minutes of your day look like? Yeah, um, it's something, you know, we talked about back and forth in like our messages. We were just discussing like different phases of our um, menstrual cycle. So it actually is really different depending on where I am in my cycle. So um, today is day one of my cycle and my morning looked like having a coffee, chatting with my partner. I made him a sandwich. He went to work. <laughs> and then as soon as he was out of the door, um, I did some like rolling on like yoga therapy balls. So I did that for like a good 20 minutes, just rolling around. It was silent. It was nice. And then um, Abhyanga, which is like an oil massage because I'm feeling a bit depleted and then shower and get ready for my day. So that's sort of like my spiritual body movement practice in like the down phase of my cycle when I'm feeling a bit more tired. Um, often I house sit, so oftentimes we have a dog, so I'll immediately go out and take the dog for a walk, especially if I'm feeling a little bit more up or energized. Um, and then some days I do sit for meditation, but less and less my practice is looking formal like that. And it's more adapting to sort of my changing energy levels as my cycle changes. Yeah. Uh, and I loved that before we, uh, jumped on to record this podcast we were talking both about our cycles and mm. I love having women like you in my life who have that same interest yeah and uh when you do start getting interested in tracking your cycle and for both of us we actually use that as a tool as well in our mm. businesses mm -hmm. and how we structure our work as well so we may dive into that but uh I think having women in your tribe that share the same values and the same boundaries is really, totally. really special, isn't it? And um, it means that we're more compassionate with ourselves and more accepting of where each other's at. 
Yeah, well, and I think it's it's not the mainstream way to do things. Right. So if you are trying to live your life sort of in that way that's aligned with your cycle, it really reinforces that you're not crazy if you have relationships with other people who are doing the same thing. <laughs> if I tell, you know, random people about it, they're just like, what? How does that even work? Or why are you doing that? Or, you know, but to relate to someone on the same level is just reinforcing that it is a wisdom that we can reclaim and you're not the only one doing it. So yeah, I was pumped when you said that as well. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So from one um, cycle in terms of uh, our monthly cycle into the cycle of our career, mm -hmm. I would love for you to start off by sharing with us what your career journey has looked like. And in particular, what have been the scariest moments for you so far and what have been some really rewarding moments as well? Yeah, well, I mean, like anyone probably in this field, I can track my career journey back quite a long ways. Um, so I'll try and be somewhat succinct in just sort of <laughs> telling that story. Um, when I would, but then I say, when I finished high school, <laughs> which was a long time ago, um, I studied psychology and got my psychology degree. And while I was going through university, I experienced a lot of anxiety personally. And then through some really fortunate advice from a counselor that I was seeing for that anxiety, um, returned to a yoga practice that I had when I was a teenager. My mom had. VHS tapes of yoga and I did that as a, as a teenager, but then I picked it up again when I was in university. So as soon as I graduated from university, I became a yoga teacher the next month, which wow. my parents were like super pumped about after my $50,000 degree. Um, and then through becoming a yoga teacher, I have been doing that for the last 10 years or just over 10 years now. Um, there have been a lot of changes, a lot of growth, a lot of expansion. One really scary thing was moving to Australia. So like giving up the career that I had established in one place, which was in Vancouver and essentially starting over. So I did that in 2011 and we sort of met somewhere around mm -hmm. that time zone. Um, but I was really fortunate. I, I, you know, Australia was a positive step forward for me moving here. I met lots of amazing people like yourself um, and then continued to have my career journey sort of grow into from just teaching yoga classes, which I was teaching like 15 to 20 yoga classes a week, which is not sustainable um, and is not very economically viable um, to eventually starting to run like courses and workshops and teacher trainings um, eventually to co-owning a couple of studios. And then an, another really scary thing, which I, I seem to do often in my career is, is just change direction. And, and it's been something that I have appreciated about myself, but also struggle with because if something doesn't align with my values, I change it, which can, um, create a lot of chaos, but so it's scary in the moment. But then when I look back on it, just like my move from Australia, it was super scary, lots of chaos, giving up um, what I had established. 
but moving on to something that feels ultimately more aligned, more like, you know, it's what your work like centered in, in your values and your heart. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a scary thing to follow that sort of gut and heart knowing because um, you feel like you're just sort of leaping off of a cliff sometimes. And sometimes you are, and sometimes you fall on your face. But even though, you know, I've been in that place before, coming out of it has been really rewarding. The other thing I would say is that leading teacher trainings and working with yoga teachers has been one of the most rewarding things for me because especially in a teacher training, you see the development of an individual over time and going through that process with someone of being like really nervous and scared and apprehensive and having all the feelings like, am I good enough to do this? And then going through that process of challenge and self-discovery and growth and then coming out the other side, being like, I fucking can do this, um, is, is incredibly rewarding. So that's been a, a real highlight as well. Oh, amazing. Uh, two things come to mind. Yes. Off the back of yes, that. yes. One thing I would love to know, because I know that for some of us who have uh, experienced a lot of personal development or perhaps even through therapy, I haven't been through therapy myself, but through these modalities where we're shining a light on ourselves and bringing in some new awareness, things like values is something that will come across at some point of time and time mm. and really doing that work to understand what our values are. And this is something I actually really love about you, Cora, is that you're very, very rooted in your values. And for some reason or another, you, um, and they may be, they may change. Mm -hmm. I know they have changed mm. uh, for you over the years. Uh, what, sorts of things have you done to get really clear on what those values are and for someone that is starting to think about how do I align my life better with my values what could they do yeah well I think the number one biggest thing is to pay attention to how you react to different situations so oftentimes I've discovered my values by being in a situation and feeling a physical response of, oh my God, this feels repulsive mm. or, or this is so not okay with me the way that this is happening. And then if you are confronted with a really challenging or difficult situation and you look, well, what's on the other side of that? Okay, well, I really value transparency, having it all out on the table, knowing where I stand because I've been in situations where that hasn't been the case. So oftentimes I think life is just the way I've learned. It's like being in all these really terrible situations or uncomfortable situations. And sometimes they're really pleasant situations too, but observing like your gut physical response to it and then reflecting on that. And oftentimes I have done that in therapy. Um, I have a psychology degree, so I'm no um, stranger to seeking professional help when it comes to understanding these things and be unpacking that with someone who can reflect back to you. It's like, this happened. It made me feel this way. 
what's the deal? Mm. And then having someone work through that with you, it's like, okay, well, you really value this. And if that wasn't happening, that's why you now feel, you know, disgusted or repulsed or, or um, uncomfortable or drained or, you know, all of these different things. And then once I've sort of gone through that process of learning through life, reflecting with someone who's like qualified or trained to do that. And then it's like, I can literally journal like a list of my values, you know? And it's like, if I'm looking for a partner, well, I have one. So James, if you're listening, I'm not looking for a partner, but if I were, or looking for a business relationship or looking for even a, a company to buy from or a guest to have on my show, I will look for someone who has these similar values. So I think if you're, if you're curious, and, and that would be another way you can work backwards. Like if you're curious about what your values are, who do you admire? Mm. What are their values? Mm. And then do you resonate with that? Like, is that something that's important to you? So that's, that's, that's been my process. And I will say it's not been a comfortable one, <laughs> but it's something I'm grateful for. It's, it's made me very clear and solid in who I am, what I care about, what I want out of life. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. And it allows, it gives you a very uh, simple frame to create, uh, create a vision from to make decisions as you go. Uh, otherwise, sometimes we we can't anchor our decisions in anything mm-hmm. either. And unless you're someone that that uses intuition and you you just have a knowing about something, but usually it's also, there's a relationship to something like values and that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, And I think your intuition will guide you to your values, right? Like I've had intuitive knowings that I had obviously no logical backing for, Mm. but I remember having the gut feeling like this is a yes, or this is a no and not trusting it. And then realizing that that gut intuition was right and through that process it's like learning how to trust your intuition is one of the ways that it can bring you to your values I think yes yes absolutely absolutely the second thing that uh was really evident or a turning point in in your journey over the last 10 years as a yoga teacher and being in this industry is that at a certain point, I know you, I remember actually exactly because we had a coffee around this time, you got a tap on the shoulder from someone that owned a particular yoga studio that used to teach at, uh, to start stepping into teaching teaching other teachers, yeah, the trainings. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if I yeah. can find my words. Totally. I remember that day and uh, what, and that's a, that's a really clear sign that someone sees you with having leadership potential. And although you might not at the time say, oh, they see me as a leader. And uh, what do you think it was about, uh, who you were, how you showed up, where you were going at that point in time that also had you say yes, even though it was probably really scary and then go on to continue to develop teacher trainings as well and really strengthen that position as a leader in your industry. I'd love to know what that looks like. And yeah, like I say, you probably stepped into it going, holy hell, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a bit crazy. I don't know if I'm ready. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I said yes to being a part of a teacher training. And then the other parts of the teacher training, meaning the other teachers, for different various reasons on their own end, couldn't do the training. Mm. So then it was probably right after I saw you that they said, okay, well, the teacher training is still happening. You're just going to run it. You're it. <laughs> yeah. And I had the like, holy shit. Uh, and I think that was like how I ended that conversation. And I said, I just need time to process that. I think the reason why the, I mean, this is, this is conjecture, I think is the right word. I'm assuming I know what the, what the person was thinking, but I think she just saw in me things that I, that I almost try to undo in my personality now, which is like hustle. Mm. Like I can work really, really, really hard. Mm. So um, I think she saw that, that if she threw that big pile of work on me, it was going to get done. So there was, I think that apart from being a yoga teacher or anything, and she saw that I was hungry for it. Like I kind of thrive on having too much to do, which is something that I'm trying to undo <laughs> in myself because it's not always good for my health. Um, but so I think those were the qualities. Like obviously she felt like I was a good enough teacher, but I think that there are lots of incredible teachers out there who, um, don't deliver trainings or don't move forward in that way because um, the hustle and the, and the hard work sort of piece aren't necessarily there. So I think it was almost less about my teaching abilities. Like I was good enough. I was good enough to be, teach a yoga teacher training. I knew enough-ish, um, but it was really those two qualities about my personality. And then to keep going and to grow it, I think those are the things that also pushed me to do that. It's like those two things. Plus I was, I was given creative control. So um, my, my other answer to what gets me out of bed in the morning is creating stuff, creating shit. It's what I cannot stop doing. I just can't. It's like, if I were to put a valve on that, I think I would become ill. Um, so I had creative control. So I could do within like yoga Alliance standards, which are pretty broad anyway, I could do whatever I wanted. And I, and I just had to get my hustle behind it. I had to put the work in and then I could produce something and get it out there into the world. Um, which is for me, it's like a rush. It's like what I live for is being able to make something that wasn't there before. Yeah. Uh, I just love that. And I totally identify with that need to create stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's also a really important way of knowing where you stand in the marketplace. Mm. If you're not putting stuff out there that people can give you feedback on, uh, how do you know, how did you know whether yoga teacher training and leading those was right for you. And then how could you use your creativity, mm. like you said, to evolve that such that you were known for these types of yoga teacher trainings. Mm. Um, so without that continual creation in the process, that wouldn't have been clear. Mm. Mm -mm. Tell me, uh, 
This is something I've, I've noticed is that the wellness industry uh, attracts a lot of creative people. And uh, I, I would put yoga under the wellness banner now. But it also means that oftentimes we want to be all of these different things. We want to be a yoga teacher plus a life coach plus a massage therapist. And, and we're very hungry to learn uh, once we get into this industry because there's also a lot coming at us. Mm. There's a lot of things we could be doing mm -hmm. and a lot of tools that we could add to our belt. But something I really admire about you, Cora, is that you have... Uh, you have some real longevity in this industry and you've really stayed true to the profession for yeah. the last 10 years. Uh, and you've also been able to pivot within the same industry. Mm -hmm. Tell me, uh, has that been part of your evolution as a, as a teacher? What's, uh, what's it also allowed you to stay in this industry for such a long time and not try and bring in all of these other modalities and be a bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have done that the tiniest bit, like mm. I've done a little bit of life coach training. Okay. I'm a life coach, but the opportunity to do the teacher training came right as I graduated. So it was just like something I couldn't pursue. Mm. I had to just keep giving to my yoga uh, offerings and I didn't have time for that. I think one thing that has kept me in this industry is even though I don't do a standard asana practice daily, um, I still go to classes here and there, but the tools of yoga continue to work for me. Mm. So I am a very anxious, flighty person mm. and I do breath work every day, like driving, existing, being, I am always working on that to soothe my nervous system you know, moving my body in mindful ways, like almost like a somatic movement practice or using the tools of Ayurveda, they are something that I have used since I was in university, mm. which was like I graduated over 10 years ago. So the reason, one of the reasons why I've stayed in is that the yoga practice has had longevity for me. So I feel like it's still working. So I, I'm still, I still believe in it. Mm but also my practice has pivoted. So it's kind of like the same career journey, right? Like I've stayed within the context, mm. but what is working or what is interesting to me or what I'm finding most effective has changed and has grown and developed and evolved. And there's always a lag time. Like my personal practice is always ahead of what my career offerings are. Mm. Um, or my business offerings are. So often what I'm offering feels outdated to me. Um, but then the next year, it's like, okay, cool. It's like that aligning with my values again. I was like, okay, cool. I'm not interested in teaching vinyasa really anymore. It's not really my thing. I don't do it personally. I mean, I do it like once in a while, but it's not my main thing. So I think the tools of yoga have continued to work my practice, like there's enough flexibility within what I'm offering. Like I have enough flexibility to be able to evolve it, to reflect my practice and what's working for me. Um, yeah. And I, I just like it. Like I, I, I like the, the group dynamic that happens in a yoga class. I, I like that I have creativity within it and I will just out myself here. 
I like feeling competent. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very competent in teaching. So I, it's a nice, like I have a lot of newness and a lot of change in my life and a lot of like things where I'm learning and, and I'm a baby, but I'm not a baby in teaching a yoga class. So it's like nice to have an area of my life where I can walk in and feel competent. So yeah. I don't know if that's a good answer, but it's, it's just, there's enough flexibility within the career itself to let me evolve and stay in it, I guess. Yes. Yes. And I know that uh, we share, even though I am not a teacher of yoga, but I'm a practitioner and have been for a long time that, uh, or student rather, that uh, we share some of the same um, values in terms of the teachers that we love and we, we've connected on that. And I think those teachers also have shown us and are leading the way in terms of what's really possible. Uh, one particular woman comes to mind and how she's taking those principles and she's going to be uh, so she started with studios, started with private practice, and now she has clothing lines and she mm -hmm. has uh, the potential for a whole education uh, mm -hmm. stream of her business as well. And I think um, plus the whole experiential retreats and but she does them in such a way that it brings this newness and this vitality yeah. to the industry. So and the, and the industry is evolving, yeah. right? Like if the industry had stayed in a vacuum where it was 10 years ago when I started, I would not be interested in being involved in that anymore. Mm. But the industry has evolved. So mm. it's like everything is continuing to grow and adapt still, but still staying in that container. And, and I think that's probably true to yoga, you know, it's ancient origins, like more than 5,000 years ago, why is it still here? It's because it's changed and grown and adapted to suit the needs of the people right now. But the essence has always remained the same. Yes. So it's like, it's still, it still works now. And it worked, you know, thousands of years ago. So I mean, just prefacing it with the, the modern postural yoga practice that we have now look nothing like the practice of thousands of years ago, but that's kind of the point, right? It has evolved and continued to stay relevant. So. Yes. Yes. And that's why some people refer to it as a technology because yeah. technology is, is something that it's a tool um, that, that allows like the human race is obviously evolving and, and the way we live has changed, like you say, but those tools still uh, remain the same. And something else that uh, comes to mind that you said just then is that uh, when you have created things for people, uh, you have a podcast now, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, but the teacher trainings, other products and services that you have been a part of that teaching what you know really well, even if it's felt like it was you five years ago or you mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, there's really something quite key in that because for a lot of the women listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. uh, they are thinking about pivoting their career or thinking about starting a side hustle as a way of uh, experimenting with what that pivot could look like. Mm. And uh, we get really caught up in worrying 
about being so perfect at the thing that we want to teach or we get so worried about it being too simple because it was something that we started with several years ago. Is there anything you want to say on that? Because I think that's a really important point. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is simple is better. Yeah. Always. Yes. Regardless of how much you know, um, how much experience you have, simple is always better. Because if you share everything you know, in like my case, like one yoga class or one private session or one consult consult that you do, it's not, you're not able to be concise and effective. So don't worry about being simple because I think oftentimes it's easier to be simple when you're new at something. Mm. When you have a lot of experience, you have to be more mindful of not overwhelming whoever you're offering your thing to. And you have to be very conscious to keep it simple. But when you're new, you don't have to do that as much. You can just share the simple thing that you know and trust that that will actually be probably more effective. Um, and the perfection thing, God, it's haunted me forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Um, I have a tattoo that says good enough because mm -hmm. I got the advice from a very incredibly successful businesswoman. She owned like a hedge fund that she was in the process of selling to a French bank when I was giving her private lessons. So girl had it going on. <laughs> and um, she told me that every project I do, you need to get it to 80% mm -hmm. good, and it's good enough and you move on and you start the next project. And spending time on the last 20% did not provide a return on investment. So this is someone who is uber successful. Like I could smell the success when I walked into her house. It was intense. So if you're worried about things being perfect and letting that hold you up, know that that is actually not what even the most successful people in the world do they shoot for 80%. So wherever you are in your learning, wherever you are in your process, how many years experience you have, whatever, shoot for that 80%, launch the thing, and then move on to the next thing or move on to refining it after it's already out there. So that was a really powerful piece of advice that was given to me maybe like six or seven years ago um, that I've been trying to implement ever since. But I know, I know perfectionism is such a hard thing. Like, um, if you're struggling with it, like Google perfectionism and white supremacy, it's yeah. a whole thing. Like it's a whole thing that we've been indoctrinated into to, to not let us be messy and to not let us learn and to not let us try new ways of being on and experiment. So yeah, man, it's a thing, but, mm. but I think like, breaking it down and removing yourself from it a little bit and being like, it's not just me. A lot of people struggle with this. I don't have to be perfect to be successful. You know, in fact, perfectionism can keep you from success. Well, uh, one of my favorite marketers, he always says that perfectionism is simply hiding. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, Oh, yes. in my heart. Yeah. You can't say that. I love my work, but he was right. He was right. Because how many times do we 
wait? Do we never even ship the thing because Mm -hmm. uh, we're so scared it's not going to be perfect, not going to be up to scratch, but actually that iteration process, as you would know, through doing so many uh, yoga teacher trainings, that iterating is what actually evolves the product or the service. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I also think if you can model moving forward when things are messy and when they're not good enough and that you've put your heart into it, Mm. but it's never going to be perfect. If you can model that, it gives whoever you're working with permission to also do the same thing. Yes. Nailed it. Okay. We can stop the podcast then. (laughs) (laughs) But we aren't. Don't worry. Uh, (laughs) Something that I really wanted to talk to you about, Cora, because I think it was one of the reasons I was always attracted to your classes from, I want to say like six years ago, seven years ago, more, Mm. uh, is that you came across really authentic in how you taught and someone that uh, spoke the words so much as if they were their own when they taught a class. And whether this happened subconsciously, I think what I noticed and um, why this particular question came to mind is I recall an interview with one of Uh, the yoga teachers that I know we both love, Elena Brower. And um, she's someone that very, uh, very much stands up for people finding their voice. And she in particular speaks to this with yoga teachers. Um, And I would love to know from you, because I I feel like this is a strength of yours, that you tell it like it is, that you're very authentic. And it was very important to you early on, whether you realized it or not, to find your place in in the market and this is a great question for not just yoga teachers listening but for anyone that is trying to find their place in a new uh, industry how did you find your voice like what was it um did you did you practice sharing through different mediums I know you have got different express so there's so, there's so many things in this. And I think the first one is, is something similar I, I, we spoke about when we spoke about values. Mm. And look, people, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have this experience or you have a different experience, I would like to know about it because I haven't really talked about it before. Yeah. So write Ruby an email and tell her to send it to me um, or whatever, or DM someone. It was that gut physical, visceral response. So when you're teaching yoga, it would be similar if you're on a coaching call. Like I do consults with yoga teachers and it's the same thing one-on-one. But in a, in a class, you are saying stuff, you're talking, things are coming out of your mouth. If I said something that like I heard my teacher say, or if I said something that wasn't authentic to me, I had that physical response again. It was like, ooh. Like it was just like a feeling like when you, when you eat something weird or when like someone you love tells you like, you really hurt me. It's like that yucky tummy drop feeling almost. I would get that if I said something that wasn't mine or wasn't my voice. Like, and I did, I do and have parroted teachers before, but only the things that stick are the things that are authentic to me. If they feel gross when I say them. I just don't 
it's like almost like I don't want to say that anymore. It feels gross. So that was one way that like on the spot that learning took place. It was like, and, and that also helped me refine what I cared about as a teacher. Cause when I was like pushing people to go further into poses, it made me feel gross, even though that's what my teachers were doing. A lot of them. So I was just like, I don't want to push people to go into poses. Like, I don't want them to go further. I don't think I care about that. And it became clear by when I said it out loud, it made me feel gross. So I was like, that's obviously not something that is aligned or authentic for me to do. So that's one thing that I would suggest to people are like, how do I find my voice? It's like, pay attention to how you feel when you're just out there doing your thing, Mm -hmm. when you're out there talking to people. Um, I don't know if you can necessarily find it if you're hiding, like what you said before, like, I think you have to be doing the work and like learning on the job, so to speak. And then you just refine from there. And it's like, stop saying the things that make you feel gross. If you guys don't get that body feel, I want to know, cause maybe that's just me, but I think it's, I think it's a human thing, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is maybe a little bit more practical, although slightly harder. So I made a conscious decision specifically for teaching my yoga classes that I would teach the class. I'll tell you the backstory, but I'll just like cut to the punchline right now. I would teach the class, every class, as if my best friend in the entire world, her name's Ariel Luxo, she works for Lululemon, funny enough, um, was in the class. And if she would come up to me afterwards and be like, sweet, cool class, then it was the class I should teach. If she would come up to me after class and be like, girl, what the fuck was that? Who even are you right now? Why did you play that weird yoga music? You're so not into it. It, I'm not being me, right? And so that came as a realization because I was teaching for a while to a group of people who were not like the same demographic as me. They were a lot older. They were a lot more well-to-do. like shit that I, I don't necessarily relate to. So I was trying to teach the class that I thought they would want instead of the class that I would want or, or my best friend would want. And it felt gross. It felt, yeah, I was bored of it. I hated it. I wasn't into it. And so having that reflection of, I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I was like, if my best friend came to class, she would totally pull me up on this and be like, well, it's really dull <laughs> and not you. Um, so I always use that as like a benchmark. Like if she were in class right now, would I get the like thumbs up? Like, yeah, man, that was a sweet class. Or would it, would it be weird for her to experience me in that way? So she's the person who probably knows me best out of anyone in the entire world. And if, and I am authentic with her, like there's no hiding, there's no pretense there's no weirdness it's just all out there so if if she could recognize that in what I'm offering then it's the right thing for me to be offering um yeah so I mean if the listeners have a have a human like that in their life like someone where they are 100% themselves what would you be like if you if you were talking or engaging to that person and I will say that it was very uncomfortable to do because the like older wealthy white ladies, I was unsure how they would respond to like nasty R&B on my playlists <laughs> or talking about balls. And like, <laughs> I was really scared. 
to do that in front of them because I thought if I showed them my real self, they wouldn't like it. They would judge it. They would think I'm some weirdo pervert, which may be true, but um, I was more comfortable holding a wall between me and them because if they didn't like who they saw on the other side of that wall, well, it wasn't really me anyway. Mm. So I don't care if they don't like it because that's not me anyway. Mm. If I showed them my real self and they didn't like it, that would hurt. Mm. But even the like 70 year old ladies in class who I thought would totally be like disgusted with what I was offering and think I'm crude. Um, they were like, I need more of your classes. And I was like, <laughs> totally into it. And I don't think it was that they liked me making jokes about balls or my playlist. It's that they liked someone showing up fully as who they were. Yes. So I think that's the thing. It's like, they don't give it, they don't give a shit ultimately about who the playlist, who's on the playlist, what the class is like. It's like, they just want to be around someone who is showing up as their whole self. Cause it's risky to do it. Right. There's, there's fear in there. Like what I just described, like it's a risk if you put your real self out there, but people want that. I think people are hungry for that. So that's what I got. Yes. Yes. That permission piece, right? Mm, yeah, it's like you can you can do this too. <laughs> mm, absolutely. One thing on that as well, in terms of, I just want to talk a little bit more about mm. cultivating your voice because I think this is the essence of what allows us to be a true expression of ourselves in the world, a hundred percent. But if we are someone that is creating a business, being able to thread our story into our work is yeah. something that humanizes the interaction. It helps us to be connecting with the people that we want to really connect with and the people we really want to serve. I would love for you to talk to me a little bit about owning your story because mm. I know it's something that you're really committed to sharing. Not every single day here's um, all my struggles and here's my highs and my lows, but you have shared little bits and pieces of your journey. And I would love to know how that has been for you. And I would say that that's actually, uh, for the most part, from what I can see on the outside, really supported your journey and probably actually worked in your favor, whether it be allowing you to make decisions or growing your following, which we all want to do, and it is important. So tell me about owning your story, Cora. Yeah, this was not a conscious decision. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so one of the things that, that propelled me to do it, though, was how people put yoga teachers, and they will do it if you're a life coach, they will do it if you're a spiritual healer, they will do it for all of these professions. They will put you on a pedestal and assign you a set of characteristics that is stereotypically based on that profession. So even people who I have known for years still assume I'm vegetarian. I've never been vegetarian and a yoga teacher at the same time. I was vegetarian when I was a teenager for a very long time, but none of these people knew me then. So they assume I'm a vegetarian because I'm a yoga teacher. I'm not going to get into the details of that, but it's one example of how people 
put you into a box. I also had someone say to me when I first moved to Australia, um, this is a friend and I, I, I love this comment. It makes me really happy. She said, until I met you, I really thought my yoga teacher had their life together. <laughs> and I, I love that comment for so many reasons. And then recently, like not recently, recently, maybe like three years ago, someone said to me, knows me well, like is a, is, she's not a family member. She's like, uh, she's my ex's sister, but we're still very close. So she's kind of like a family member, but kind of not. A couple of years ago, she commented on something on my Instagram that like, it looked like I really had my shit together. And what, and she knows me. Like she knows, like she knows the detail of the up and the down. But this image that is on social media that we portray like in that highlight reel. So combined with like being a yoga teacher, people already put you on this pedestal. And then the fact that everyone just assumes that because Ruby's doing all these like amazing things on her Instagram, like her life's perfect and my life sucks. Or like the same thing with me. And I was like, even someone who knows me, like are you kidding? Like, you know, my real life. Why do you think that my Instagram is a reflection of that, of, of having my shit together? All of these things made me very conscious of wanting to share the real story so that people don't think, you know, I'm like, they don't feel that isolation of I'm the only one who struggles because I have known so many people to think that, you know, I've had so many people in my life think that they're alone in the hard times. And it's just been something that I have wanted to break down and being like, look, man, just because you're a yoga teacher does not mean you have your life together. Just because, you know, you're a coach doesn't mean you haven't gone through really hard times. So I guess in that way it's conscious, but it's not been like a strategy or anything. And it is hard to put parts of your story out there, but the result is that you make real connections. So I was talking to a friend earlier today and I was telling her about all my internet friends in Melbourne because I don't live in Melbourne, I live in Sydney. And she's like, internet friends? And I was like, yeah, I kind of think of them like the pen pals of the now age. Like, I don't know them in real life, but we're internet friends. We DM all the time. We comment on each other's stories. Maybe we'll go on Zoom sometimes and just like check in. But without sharing your story, I don't think you make genuine connections. And if, if you're surprised that like I have internet friends, I met my internet friend the other day. I met her, a one internet friend. She came from the UK to Sydney to do her teacher training. And we met up and had a coffee and we're internet friends. Um, if you don't put your story out there, you don't make those genuine connections with people. And like, I don't have an ROI on that. I don't know what the return on investment is for, for making those connections. But what I do know is that like, it helps people realize that they're not alone. It gets the yoga teacher or the healer or whatever off of their pedestal. And as you said, it humanizes the person or the business or the brand. And it's like, I'm also just naturally quite a dark and cynical person. And, uh, and I like hearing about the hard times often more than I like hearing about 
the highs. I'm like, don't tell me about your highs. Tell me about your fucking lows so that I cannot feel so bad about my lows, you know? So I don't, I don't know. I didn't have a plan for it. And, and, sh and sharing it on the different mediums, like, I just think it's, it's just fun and it's a way to connect. Like, especially I think on Instagram is mainly where I share my, like, what's really going on on the podcast. I do a little bit, but then like, there's a delay people listen to it and maybe they DM me, but it's not like a two way conversation. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't get that like connection as much, but it's just like how you build intimacy in a real relationship, right? Like if you didn't ever tell your partner the bad stuff and you just kept that all to yourself, there would be no mutual sharing of, Oh, that's happened to me too. And I'm really struggling with that. And then you're more intimate. So it's just like doing that online with your internet friends. Yes. 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 <laughs> relationship. I guess it's relationship building. Totally. 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 And at the end of the day, we all want to feel connected to someone or something or a purpose. And if you don't share that, then there's not that thing to connect you with no. uh, that other person, as you said. Alrighty, I want to flip this into a few last questions yeah. around uh, some business basics for cool. people out there that are thinking about things like starting a podcast or thinking yeah. about uh, teaching or coaching or training because they've been um, a teacher for a while and they want to take that to a next level. Whatever it looks like for you, the next step that you are going to take in your business. Um, one thing in particular that you did in the last uh, six months, but probably even sooner than that, is that you launched your podcast, Teaching yeah. Yoga. Uh, and something that I would love to know, it's probably very obvious that you do a podcast on teaching yoga, but within the realm of teaching yoga, it's also very clear when you start to... Uh, listen to Cora's podcast and when you start to see the content that she threads into other mediums around the podcast that you also have a really clear mission and a really clear niche mm -hmm. and there's lots of yoga podcasts out there yeah you could have done any old podcast interviewing other yoga teachers but there's a lot of that out there so how did you see that and then say well what do I want to create and who's the niche for this podcast? Yeah, a couple, a couple of things. Firstly, I just feel like I have the most interesting conversations with other yoga teachers, like professional conversations. Like mm. I have interesting conversations with other human beings, but like in the professional context, yeah. it's like the conversations I can have with other teachers are the ones that just genuinely interest me the most. So that was uh, a selfish reason. It's just like, I like talking to other yoga teachers and you don't always get to talk to other yoga teachers when you're a teacher because you often don't see them. Mm. So it's like you see them passing and you're like reaching out and being like, hey, talk to me for five minutes. Tell me that like you couldn't pay your rent today too or whatever. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's, it was just this personal interest first and foremost. But then secondly, I did have like a little bit of business strategy behind it. Every teacher training that I've ever run the thing that everyone says at the end is that they want a sense of community to continue. 
So they graduate from their teacher training and they say, we've had this amazing community. Like usually the trainings I do last six months. So it's like, we've had this amazing community for the last six months. Um, but then we graduate and it's like the group disbands and goes and does their own thing. And there's a void that is left mm. of having that sense of community and connection among teachers. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, how can I meet this need? And I've tried to like host like monthly teachers catch ups and like all of these different ways to fill that need. But I thought a podcast is something that I love doing. And I know that I love having these conversations and I know there's a need for it. It's kind of like that thing. I don't know. You've probably seen it on Pinterest or something where it's like circles, like what the world needs. What you can buy. Yeah. What's it called? Ikigai. It's a yeah. Japanese term. Yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't know what it was, but it's like probably like that inter intersected. Mm. It's like, mm. I like having a new term that I've learned in Australia. I really like having a yarn. I like chatting. <laughs> I like talking to teachers very specifically. Um, and there was a need for it and I'm, and I'm proficient at it. Like I, I can, I can ask questions. So it was like all of that sort of stuff, like mixed together um, was how I found my niche. Like there was a need, I, I enjoyed it and I was good enough at it that I could, I could produce it. So that was how I got the niche. Mm. You're also, uh, it's very clear that you're also having some conversations that need to be had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> um, well, that, that aligns with my values. So um, I very much personally as a human am sort of always on the fringes of what's going on. I've never really fit into like the mainstream image of anything in my, in my own experience. I know that other people can view me differently, but in my own experience, I've always felt like an outsider. Um, I've always felt like, like the other, per, the other, like, not like I, I was like, I'm never into like the bikinis and handstands and yoga when that was cool. And I'm, you know, so the conversations that I'm having, I'm, I want to bring other people to the fore who are having conversations that maybe aren't quite popularized in yoga yet. Mm. And conversations that are in my mind important as fuck. I didn't check with you about like the explicit warning on your podcast, but you have to obviously put one on this. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's completely so, okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> otherwise there's like a lot of editing on the back end. Every time I swear you're like, no. Um, <laughs> so question, conversations that are really important that align with my values. So it's, it's just like one of my biggest values is being inclusive. And I've since learned that that is not even enough. Like that is like the starting point of thinking about how to have justice for all people. Um, and that's just something that I couldn't, I couldn't ignore anymore. Like it was too hot in my body. Like it was too, like it, if I said to someone earlier today when I was talking to them, I was like, yeah, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably get stomach cancer because it was like, I, I just had to get it out and I don't want to, um, downplay this if someone actually has an illness that's you know a different story but like it felt viscerally like it had to get out of my body and I had to do something and I'm not the world's most educated person on these topics I'm learning along with the listener but um 
I'm good at finding people. So I was like, okay, I, these are all the issues that I know that are really important to me in the yoga world. How can I find someone who knows a lot more than me? And how can we bring that issue to the, to the forefront? So yeah, it's been tough. Like some of the times I've been, ner- like I'm always nervous to do an interview, um, but I've been really nervous about interviewing some people because I know that I'm not, that educated on some of these topics like i i don't get me wrong i do shit tons of research i learn everything i can but there's some things that you can't fake your way through like only having a limited amount of experience you just have to you can only learn what you can in a short amount of time but this it comes back to that perfection thing um being okay to make mistakes it being okay to to say the wrong thing and have someone correct me and then be like okay that was a learning moment even though it's broadcast live for everyone to hear. Um, So yeah, I don't know. It's just something that's super important to me. And I think bringing these sort of conversations that are on the fringe, but, but, and with whatever way I can pushing them into the center of the, Mm -hmm. of the yoga conversation. Yes. Yes. So good. So good. And I'm so thankful for you. And uh, at a certain point you might've thought, look, Uh, with my level of privilege and with my capacity and with my community and my audience that I already have, how, how can we make more people aware of this, but also thinking there's very likely other women just like you out there that are teachers or also in other um, Mm -hmm. wellness modalities that Mm -hmm. are thinking exactly the same thing. They're afraid. They don't know how to approach it. And you're simply being that conduit for them to learn more. Totally. And you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, I guess, like, to use a pop culture term right now, even though it, it what didn't derive from that, I've recently become woke to how much privilege I had and how much teaching yoga was like, yes, there were personal struggles, but the opportunities were there. It was easy for me to get work. Mm. It was people said yes to me. Mm. Um, And I didn't realize before that that was probably to do with the way I look. I didn't realize because um, I wasn't super pumped about the way I looked. So I thought, how would anyone else take that as a good thing? But they saw me as a white, young, able-bodied, sometimes thin, sometimes not, human being that, that they saw would represent their brand in a way that aligned with them. And I've learned that other people who do not share those privileges do not have the opportunities that I did. So I was like, radio, um, I've got this in, like I'm, I'm very much in, in the yoga community. Well, I mean, I've been kicked out of a few places, but for the most part, I'm in, in the yoga community. People are listening to what I have to say somewhat. How can I, um, Diane Bondi called it leveraging your privilege. It's like, how can I leverage what I do have um, to support the work of other people that are doing incredible work that I could never do. Um, so yeah, it was definitely that. It was recogn- It was it was getting woke to what I did have in terms of privilege, and then feeling the want and the desire and the need to use that for something good, rather than just to like sit in a shame guilt spiral about it. Mm, mm. And and. Uh, this conversation just keeps coming full circle around to the same things, but 
realizing that your perfection is going to get in the way of your values. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There have been many times where if I wanted the conversation to be perfect, I wouldn't have been able to talk to the people that I talk to. Like I mixed up like gender and sexuality on one of my conversations with someone about LGBTQ inclusivity in the yoga community. Like I felt like a total dummy, but I didn't want, I couldn't not release that episode because it would make me look bad. It's like, I'm sure some other person is going to mix it up too. Like you're, we're human, but learn from it and get better. Mm. Move on. Mm. Amazing. Okay. So I want to wrap this up with one uh, final question. What's next? What's next for Cora? Look, I don't know, but I have some ideas. <laughs> so I'm in a, a period of transition and flux where my whole professional life has been turned upside down, mostly because I chose that. So I'm in a process of figuring it out. Um, the podcast will 100% continue. Um, I am leading an event in Melbourne at the end of this month, which is a live podcast recording and it's a teacher's practice and it's a yoga teacher's support group. I am almost certain that I will take that on the road and probably do a workshop in San Fran and Toronto this year, maybe Vancouver, Vancouver is a maybe. So I'll go home to visit my family and do some training and then loop in a couple of events there. So it'll be my first like international travel workshop scenario, which is exciting and terrifying. So that's next. Podcast is going to keep pumping out. Um, I am 100% for sure launching an online yoga program for teachers. It's called the Teachers Club. It's um, support and mentorship and um, all of that good stuff for yoga teachers online so we can sort of connect wherever we are in the world. Um, I really like to go back to school and get my master's in journalism, but that's a, that's a ways away. That is a ways away because I got to, I've got to fund that somehow. <laughs> um, and then long-term, my partner James and I are, we, we house sit full time right now for the sole purpose of saving money to buy a property out in the country somewhere. We haven't decided on which country or we haven't agreed on which country yet, but somewhere in a, in a rural place. So that's one of the reasons why I'm taking a lot of my work online and then sort of interspersing it with in-person events kind of globally is my, is my thing. But from what I have learned in the last 10 years, it's that like, you can make plans, <laughs> but oftentimes life has something better for you. And so like, this is, this is what I'm thinking about. But if we check in in a year and a half, I might be like, house in the country, excuse me, who are you talking to? I'm moving to Paris. Um, so yeah, so that's my, that's my ideas. Those are my plans of, of what's happening, but, but who knows how it will actually transpire. Yes. Yes. Well, I hope it does for you because I think that's a beautiful dream and I'm sure many people listening are thinking, oh, I could do that too. And we have a mutual friend who lives in a tiny house on a property in Queensland oh, yeah. and she's raising her little boy. So um, she's definitely paving the way for all totally. of us who want to do that. 
showing totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think online work has really made that an option, right? Like I grew up in a small town, but the internet was kind of like just invented when I left. So you working online wouldn't have been an option, but now that's opened up a lot of doors, I think for people to be like that, that trending word, like location independent, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's cool. Yeah. Well, this has been a beautiful conversation, Cora, and I'm so thankful to connect with you and and share a little piece of you with my community who goes all around the world because uh, you're someone I really value in my life, your opinion, what you're up to, and getting stuck in there and doing the work and living by your values. We you know, you're really an example of that for me. So thank you so much, beautiful woman. Uh, Well, thanks for those kind words. Um, I'm going to write them on my wall and remind myself of when I feel shit. Um, And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It was an honor. Thank you.